Well, good morning, everybody. <coughs> it is good to be with you this morning. Um, this is my seventh year now, um, sixth year, sixth year, preaching the Sunday after Christmas. Um, the only thing that means is my mom decided to point out yesterday that that's kind of my thing. And she's like, it's good that you have a thing, son. I was like, thanks, mom. <laughs> so that, I have a thing. Um, and uh, we all have a thing. We all have something that it is in our life that drives us, that motivates us, that um, either invigorates us or maybe it even just scares us. Um, and so I'm just going to ask the lighthearted question as we close out 2018. Um, has God ever called you to something uh, that you decided to try and run away from? Yep, okay, good. I'm not alone. I love not being the only person, and I like interaction. You guys are always more awake than last service. Um, <laughs> and you laugh at my bad jokes. <laughs> but here's the thing. For one reason or another, at some point in our life, if we are following Jesus, um, we have stumbled upon this idea of calling. We've either heard about other people's calling, or we've looked at people that we would say have a calling on their life, and maybe we've even looked inside ourselves and said, do we have a calling on, on our lives? And maybe you felt like you didn't have a specific calling. God wasn't going to use you to do anything great or, or, or grand, or maybe he's never given you a dream in your heart or an idea in your head that you just felt so compelled that you had to do, or maybe <clears throat> he has, and the thought of doing that was just really scary. The thought of doing that was beyond yourself, beyond your own capacity, beyond what you thought was possible. Something you couldn't do in your own strength, but something that you knew would come at a cost. Something that you knew um, might involve some pain along the way, some frustration, some fear. And then you were confronted with a choice in that moment to how are you going to respond to whatever it is that God was calling you to do. See, I grew up as a pastor's kid. You guys know a lot of my story. I get a I try and share little bits every time I'm up here, um, and uh, I just would rather you guys uh, laugh at my life uh, than other people's. So, um, and I grew up as a pastor's kid, um, and I remember being 15 years old and, and feeling this, um, this over-spiritualized sense of being called by God to something, and it terrified me. Um, and it it's taken me the last uh, 17 years. Yes, I'm 32 now. Um, I did that math this year <laughs> to realize what was happening and, and what I love about how God uses the calling that he has in each of our lives is he's going to reveal it to us through the story that, that we see lived out in our lives. See, I was called... Um, into leadership of some sort, which just uh, was, was attached to responsibility, and I didn't really want responsibility. And I had this calling to uh, speak to the next generation um, in the church, which 
I didn't want to do that because my dad had done that, and I didn't like the way that that went for my family. I didn't like the way the church treated me sometimes. And I felt like I had this very clear sense of calling to speak to the students when they were so formative in their faith, before they got down the road in life, and life had dealt them whatever it had dealt them, and they had made their conclusions, but while they were still figuring things out, to get them, to get Jesus in front of them. And with that came an overwhelming sense of fear and responsibility. And, And then I saw that I didn't like the life ahead of me in the church, living in a fishbowl. For my family, because that's what I experienced. Um, I wanted to go um, make it on my own and be self-sufficient and to show the world that I could be successful in, in my own way, in my own right. But as I pursued those things and I ran from the thing God had, it, it didn't come with any sense of fulfillment. You see, part of what drove me away from pursuing this calling um, that has led me to even this moment right now today talking to you, it involved a pathway that people said, I couldn't do this unless I did X, Y, and Z, and I just didn't see it in me to be able to do those things. So I disqualified myself along with other people before I ever gave anything a shot. But thankfully, God didn't let me go years and years and years and years down this path. I actually consider myself one of the lucky few people that God decided to show up and intervene early. You see, and and he did that by introducing me to this girl named Savannah. You guys have heard the story of how we met and how I had just uh, taken a huge demotion at work. My ego was completely sunk. I had... No pride left in me. I had just gotten out of a nasty relationship where I was engaged to somebody else. And so this girl comes into my life, and she's so confident and, like, honest and truth-telling. She didn't put up with any of my smoke and mirrors. (coughs) That's the story you guys have heard, but there's a whole other side. See, in those first couple conversations, what God was doing was he was actually turning my life and my heart around, and he was reminding me of these dreams he had put in my heart and these things that he had called me to that I had run from for so long. I ran the opposite direction, trying to do it in my own strength, in my own way, in my own timing. And then he decided to make me fall in love with this girl who, when I asked her the question after she's like, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? And then she didn't like my answer. So I said, well, what are you called to do? And she, without skipping a beat, says, I'm called to be a mom and a pastor's wife. I said, whoops. <laughs> and it's like in that moment, God's like, how long are you going to try and run? See, calling, and for me, I thought the calling was only to do this type of work. But what I found is That's not the case at all. Calling is unique to each and every one of us. And as we follow Jesus, it's actually this life of purpose and power that we're invited to live in 
that Jesus is talking about when he says to live life to the full or life abundantly. See, here's my big idea for closing out 2018. And as you look ahead to 2019, whether it's a resolution or not, you need to understand this truth that God did not create you to settle for a life of discontentment or dysfunction. Instead, he's calling you to live the life of purpose and power that he created you for. I'm going to say it again because it's on the screen. God didn't create you to settle for a life of discontentment or dysfunction. What that means is if you feel like life is just constantly dysfunctional and not working and not going the way that you're hoping to, maybe you're going the wrong direction. Maybe there's something that you aren't listening to or hearing or getting or trying, or maybe you're just trying to control too much. Or maybe it's discontentment and you're just never satisfied. Yeah, you've achieved what feels like success. You achieved uh, beyond what you thought you could do on your own, but there's just not contentment there. There's not joy. It doesn't feel meaningful. You don't feel like you're making a difference. Maybe you're just comfortable, complacent. Life's pretty convenient. That's the American dream after all, right? No, but that's what we're about. That's what our culture is about. And so I'm curious, for 2019, would you dare with me to ask yourself the question, what is God calling me to? We know he's calling us back to himself. So let me clarify the the generalizations. And then my hope is to give us some actual practical things. I'm not going to be super inspiring today. I'm hoping to be practical with ways that we can develop and discern or we can develop a discernment process to know and understand what God might be leading us towards but what is he calling you to see growing up for me I thought that calling was all about passions And, and I saw it in two ways it was people had passions to do something or passions to go somewhere and if you didn't have those two things then God wasn't calling you to do it and then what I saw was people would um have all these passions to go do these things that they actually weren't gifted or resourced or equipped to do that God wasn't actually inviting them to do. They just liked the idea of looking like someone else. But see, God made this idea of calling so much more practical. See, it's, it's less about a passion to go and it's more about an invitation to grow. Our calling in life is less about a passion to go somewhere and do something, but it's an invitation that we have, that we get to choose how we respond to, to grow. And we joke about how I like to alliterate things. Today, I'm going to give you acronyms. So write these down if it's helpful at all. I got a laugh from a teacher in the back that made my my heart so happy. But it's an invitation to grow. Growing meaning this. Our calling is a combination of our gifts, our relationships, our opportunities, and the wisdom of how those all work together. How those align and how those work together. So if you've ever asked yourself the question, what am I calling God, what are you calling me to do? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here on this earth? Do I even have a purpose? What is my purpose? What decision are you wanting me to make? Where are you leading? What direction? That's where we oftentimes hear is we want to make God responsible for our decisions. So we wait and wait and wait for the signs and the wonders and we see the bumper plates and the stickers 
And then that one person talks to us. We listen to that podcast from 1978. And somebody speaks this truth into our life and all the things, the stars align. No, it's actually a little more simple than that. God made it a little more practical for us. You see, an invitation to grow looks like this. It's when we have our gifts, the way God wired us and created us. James talks about that um, every good and perfect gift from, comes from above the Father of lights who gives generously and lavishes upon his children. So you all have gifts. Not just the ones you got a couple days ago, but the gifts of your talents, the gifts of your skills, your personality, your temperament, your story, your experiences. Those are all gifts. Your resources. It's not just the things you're good at, but it's the things you have. Those are all gifts from God that he's entrusted to you to, to do something with. But not for yourself. See, that's where we get this a little mixed up. Is we, we see all the gifts that God's given us and we sometimes accidentally fall into the temptation to take credit for getting them for ourselves. And when we think we're responsible for the gifts we have, we're going to then hoard them for ourselves. But see, it's not just the gifts that we have, but it's the relationships around us. Where do you have influence with those that God's put around you? See, if we believe that God is sovereign and he's in control, he has placed people around each of us in our family we can't get away from them. We didn't ask for them. We just showed up, and they showed up, and they were there. With the people we work with, with our, our friends, the people that we choose to be around, we have influence all over. And in each of those spheres of influence, we bring a level of relationship where we bring ourselves, and as followers of Jesus, we are actually bringing the, the presence of Jesus with us if we choose to. When we choose to respond to God's calling and we understand that what he's called us to is so much more than just being with him forever and then existing until we take our last breath. See, this side of eternity, we actually get a partner with the God of the universe and join in his work of redeeming and restoring that which is broken and lost. And we get to bring our story and our experiences and all that we are into the lives of those around us to point them to him. And then we have to look for opportunities. Not just opportunities like that come out of the blue, but where do you see God at work? Where do you see God working around you, in the lives of people around you? Where is God maybe prompting you and leading you to create an opportunity. Or where do you see his presence just being needed? Where in your life, where around you, do you see the need for God's presence? And you see it consistently. I believe that God operates and he can just prompt somebody in the moment to go respond and that happens. But... Think about your weekly routine. Think about the person who's at the gym or the coffee shop the same time you are. You don't know them. You've never 
known their name, but you, you've noticed them. They notice you. Maybe you notice that they haven't smiled in a while. They seem more distraught, disturbed. I don't know, maybe that's an opportunity to step in and not solve their problem, but just be Jesus to them. And then wisdom. How do we prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and the wise counsel of those around us to discern the direction God's calling? Here's what I appreciate about uh, Drew and Veronica's decision. As somebody that um, invited them into this church community for a specific purpose, to help in the areas that I'm in leadership, um, they did not come lightly to this decision to go to Blaine, but they went through a process and they invited wise counsel and to say, hey, is God really prompting something here? Is he moving us here? Because we're committed here. We want to see what God move in Ferndale, but we just have this conviction here and our roots are planted here in Blaine. So it's a no-brainer when it's like, yes, like we bless you, go. That's what seeking wise counsel looks like. Here's the problem with calling. It's complex, but it's not complicated. What I mean by that is it is woven intricately into who we are because of how uniquely made we are and the unique experiences we have. That's, that's complex, but it's simple enough to understand. But where it gets complicated is the human messiness of people. See, we complicate it. We complicate it because of our insecurity. There's options that we have. We, we get to choose how to respond. God isn't going to make us do anything we don't want to do. But that's the beauty of this relationship. It is a constant invitation to be part of something bigger, to be part of something better, to bring about wholeness and restoration. But we have different options we could choose. We can choose how we respond to God's calling. Maybe, maybe it's responding by being confused or being clear about what God's calling us to do. Maybe once we have clarity in, around what God's calling us to do, we're either we choose to be careless or we can choose to be calculated. We can maybe need to be convinced that it's a good idea and God's actually leading us to do it, or we could just respond to the Spirit's prompting with conviction. We can choose to be compliant or compelled. We can choose to be cautious and tentative or confident. And ultimately, we can choose in the calling that we have, the meaning and the purpose we have, this side of eternity, to be complacent or content. See, contentment doesn't mean complacent. We get those confused. Sometimes what feels like being content is actually us just becoming complacent. Here's how we know the difference. Complacency doesn't involve no longer taking steps of faith out of your comfort zone. You can be content way out of your comfort zone. But insecurity complicates our calling. So there's two kinds of insecurity that get involved and get in the way of calling that I've experienced personally. See, that the first half of my story was me running and trying to be self-sufficient. And how is that insecurity? Well, it led to insecurity because the more 
self-sufficient I tried to be, the more in control I wanted to be, and the more I tried to control, the less I realized I could control, so I never had a sense of security, and I just got on that hamster wheel, and it just kept spinning. But then when I surrendered, and I decided, you know, this is, I'm going to trust you, God. Now I'm going to take some steps of faith. Then it became a matter of insufficiency. See, we have an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy, who is, going, who is the father of lies. So when we hear a lie from our enemy, we should not be surprised. However, it comes in the form of a lie, the insufficiency. So now, as I surrender to God's call, he was calling me to do something that I wasn't qualified to do. I wasn't qualified by my own standards, by other people's standards. And so then I had an option to opt out. I had an option to not lean in. I had an option to live less submitted. See, and here's what I love about this idea of these two insecurities. We see them both present in the life of somebody that makes total sense to me in the most challenging way. His name's Peter. You see, when Jesus came, and I love that we have this discipleship training coming, and I've loved planning that out with Rich and the council, and, and he chose to invest his life to disciple um, the furthest thing from who people would expect. People would expect the religious elite the rabbis, the people that had spent their entire childhood and adolescence preparing to be religious. But Jesus said, no. I'm going to start with ordinary folk. Like fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, the smartest guy was Luke. He was a doctor. We know that. But these people that society wasn't going to accept. By their own strength alone, by their own credibility alone. This is who he chooses. And we see this calling narrative unfold in Peter's life, starting with Jesus meeting him at work one day and saying, hey, I know you like to fish, but follow me. There was a cost. He had to walk away from what he knew, what was comfortable, what was secure, what provided for his family. And he had to trust, and he had to get out of the boat and walk away from the nets. He didn't know what was around the corner. So then he begins following Jesus. And, and after seeing Jesus do some things, we see him call out to Jesus and say, hey, if that's really you walking on the water, let me do the same thing and get out of the boat. And Jesus says, sure. And he has to respond again to this calling to come and take a step of faith. But then we see Peter crumble under the fear for his own life at the, at the questioning of a little girl. How much guilt and shame do you think he carried when he heard that rooster crow for the third time? And in that moment, and maybe you've been in that moment as I've been in that moment where I was so overridden by my guilt and my shame for trying to run away from my Lord. 
that I didn't think I would ever get back. I, there was nothing that could qualify me to do his work again. And then on the beach over breakfast, Jesus says, hey, Pete, do you love me? I know you do. And he's reinstated and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. So there's some context and backstory. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 4, which is, I believe, the culmination of this story of Peter's, the culmination of this calling. And there's some practical things. We see in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're just going to church like any other Sunday, except they did on Saturday. And they are met by somebody who has a need. It says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from people going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. You know how the story goes. Peter and John looked at him intently and said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. But I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he goes, walking and leaping and praising God. Right? But here's what we see happening in this, in this little setup to where we're going in Acts chapter 4. There's needs all around you that God is calling you to meet with him. There's needs in the, in the lives of the people all around us. You have needs yourself that you can't meet on your own, and maybe you're at a point of desperation, but God has put people around you to meet those needs. God has put you around people to help meet their needs. God has given you unique gifts, specific relationships, and he's presenting opportunities to you that you can discern wisely. I'm not talking about codependence here. Like you can discern wisely how he's inviting you to bring his presence and his power into that situation. See, our priority isn't to solve or fix every problem, but it is to bring the presence of Jesus. In every situation we walk into, every relationship that we are on the other side of, that is our prerogative to bring the presence and power of Jesus and have it be on display through our lives. So there's needs all around us. This guy asked for an, his immediate need. It made sense. It was fair. He needs to eat. He needs to survive. He can't work. Peter and John, they gave from what they had. That's the other thing we see. God calls us to use what you have that he's, been, that he's given to you. See, we're called to use and steward. It means how do we take care of, how do we use the stuff that God's given us for his glory? He calls them to use what they have. And when they do, this guy receives so much more. He receives so much more. But here's what happens. See, there's this enemy who doesn't like it when we respond to God's calling and we bring 
his power and his presence and we live lives that operate like that, he's going to bring resistance. See, this brought resistance because it stirred some people up and it got some people angry. The people who were qualified to be doing the work of ministry, the professional people, they weren't thrilled. And so they bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. Like, this had to have been one of the most intimidating situations they would have faced up until this point. And they're asked to give an account to these theological scholars about what just happened. They hadn't devoted their life to learning these things. And yet God still spoke. Here's how. Not through their strength, but by filling them with the Holy Spirit. It says this in Acts 4. By what power they're asked, or in whose name have you done this? But then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and all people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. See, the Holy Spirit is going to empower ordinary obedience to overcome insecurity with courage and confirmation. See, the Holy Spirit empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things when we're willing to walk in obedience. Peter and John could have denied anything. They could have said, hey, sorry, we were just trying to help the guy and walked out. But they stood there and they faced this intimidating situation. They boldly proclaimed the truth of who Jesus was. People were already amazed. They could have said, the work's been done. God's gotten glory. He's gotten praise. We've done our thing for today. We'll see you next week. But they lean in. They speak with courage and confidence and boldness that is confusing to people. It says in verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Do you understand in my life and my story, the little bits I've shared with you, how powerful God spoke when I read these words for the first time? After being told that, like, I couldn't do this. I couldn't reach people for Jesus. I couldn't lead people within the church because I didn't have special training. And I have no problem with special training. But to be told that I couldn't, I was disqualified. And that I shouldn't even be doing what I was doing. This was so empowering. But what was... More fulfilling was what came after. It wasn't just that they were amazed. But where did this ultimately come from? They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And my life has been marked by God saying, you, you can't do this on your own, but you can do this with me. You can't do this on your own, but you can do this with me. I'm going to lead you places that are not comfortable. 
I'm going to let you see things that are beyond your imagination. Uh, I'm going to walk with you through some of the hardest times that you'll ever face. And you're going to deal with people that are hard to love, but you're going to love them because I love you and I'm right there with you, empowering you to do this work. And we have this opportunity to love. I thought that was my alarm. Somebody wants me to be done. I have three minutes. I have three minutes left. I'm on time. So here's the point in all of this that we can see from this interaction that these two ordinary people had as they encountered the living God and they brought his presence and power into a situation as Jesus will be revealed when you live out your calling and relationship with him. See, as we live out our, our, our relationship with Jesus, that's what becomes what people see. That's what's on display. People start to notice things are different. You think differently. You act differently. You love differently. You give more generously. You give differently. You, you just are more selfless with your time. You're not consumed. You're not going at the same pace and speed as everyone else. Like, you seem to have different priorities. Like, why, why do you do all this? Because of my relationship with Jesus and who he's created me to be and called me to be and invite me to be. Eva, your mom's calling. Do you want me to answer? So my thought's gone. I'm going to close with one last acronym. If you want to know how to have a clear calling in 2019, here's a simple, cheesy, but clear way to discern how God might be calling you or where he's calling you or his leading. Uh, if you want to be clear, it's going to be compelled by conviction. It's not just going to be a good idea. You're going to be compelled. Some, there's going to be a sense of urgency. There's going to be something in you that is drawing you to do it. Maybe um, it, it's identifying, like, what are the wrongs that you see all around you that you just, you need to see righted? That's different for all of us. Compelled by conviction. Then... Um, does it involve you leveraging your gifts and your wiring? Do you, are you uniquely gifted with skills, talents, time, availability, whatever it is, influence, your story? Does it speak uniquely into a situation that you can leverage that to connect with people to bring the power and presence of Jesus into that situation? Does it require you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? What opportunities, obstacles, or options have caught your attention but are beyond your own strength and capacity to accomplish? This is much better when I read what I write. What requires a step of faith or trust? Or is it just something you could just do? 
And, and maybe it is. Is it affirmed by others? What does the wise counsel of others in your life say? Do people affirm what you see in yourself and where God is at work in your life? Do people affirm that, hey, this is something that you would be good at? This is some, have you ever thought of doing more of this? Have you ever thought of volunteering to do that thing? And last, the result is always going to bring God more glory than you. Who gets credit when you succeed? When this thing goes well, who gets the credit? Can you take credit for it or is there no other option but to give God credit for it? If you want to know how to live a clear calling that will give you contentment and it will grow your faith, grow your identity, grow your influence with the people around you, then you need to do some reflecting. I had the privilege of being stuck on my couch for eight weeks this year. I spent a lot of time thinking. Um, and once I got past asking God why he decided to put me on the couch for eight weeks, and I actually started to listen, this is my closing thoughts, and it's my setup for our January series, which is all going to be around prayer, because we're going to start 2019 with a posture of prayer. Things change when, when you start listening. And you do less talking. If you want to get clear, I had to learn to stop telling God all the things I couldn't do and all the things I wanted to do and all the things I wasn't going to do and just started listening. And things started to happen. Let's pray. God, you're so good. Thank you that um, you got us through that. Um, and God, I am so thankful that you have created this church family and community with people that are so diverse and so different um, that you have called to do so many different things. But we are all united in doing those things to build and bring your kingdom, to bring hope into hurting situations, and ultimately to bring your love to this world. God, I pray that in 2019, regardless of what we think we've done or can't do or don't want to do, I pray that you would make it clear to us what you are inviting us to do to bring your power and your presence into the world around us and to live a life filled with purpose. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.